Nursing Review podcast is an audio extension of the national nursing publication, Nursing Review, available in print, web, e-newsletter, offering the latest news, trends, interviews and insights in nursing education. Subscribe to Nursing Review today by going to www.nursingreview.com.au and click on the No Obligation 4-Week Trial Subscription link. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy our latest Nursing Review podcast. Gerontology draws together a range of researchers, clinicians, service providers, policy and planning officers, educators, and a whole lot of other people involved in all areas of ageing. Gerontology integrates broad perspectives of ageing in society, health, and wellbeing, and are usually viewed through a lens of normal ageing. And ageing issues affect everyone, family, friends, broader community and everyone working with older people. And it inspires approaches and innovations that support practice development and build sustainable systems. But the success in in gerontology also depends on having policy and other frameworks that promote healthy and productive ageing and also supports the systems required to make that happen. Policy is important because it sets the scene for attitudes towards older people and their contribution and their needs the accreditation of professional qualifications and who can teach them and what will be in or out of curricula, clinical specialty development or not, standards of care and services, medication systems that can or can't be used, setting up of scholarship and taxation strategies to promote particular groups and not others, status of different professions, their scope of practice, minimum wages and how professions are perceived within society and a whole lot of other really important things that can be quite Um, burdensome as you work through the day as as a gerontology person. The environmental complexity in which we operate is easily ignored when we focus on immediate problems that frustrate and disempower us. So in this session, I thought I'd look at the umbrella issue of what drives gerontology policy and some of the challenges and options arising from demographic change. Across the globe, the future of many societies is actually being shaped by ageing populations, bringing with it both opportunities and risks. Developed societies have accumulated resources to prepare for and deal with ageing through social protection and healthcare systems and other things. But many other countries are rapidly becoming old before they have the opportunity to first become wealthy. China, for instance. The determinants of health affecting individuals' ability to live a normal lifespan and remain healthy into late age, arise from shifts in industrialisation, urbanisation, social structures, political and civil systems, and environmental influences, among other factors. We do know that these demographic changes are unprecedented. They are enduring and transformative, with long-term repercussions for all aspects of human life. Never before have we had so many people live into late age and remain healthy. This is uh, sometimes called contraction of morbidity, if you want to look that up. This profound global transformation has far-reaching consequences for individual, community and national and international life, and every facet of humanity is going to be affected by it. Yet ageing, despite its global significance, occupies a relatively insignificant place within debates on policy, education and resourcing priorities in most countries, and even in service systems set up to cater for actual older people's needs across the lifespan. Population ageing is one of the most significant achievements of modern societies. Major improvements in healthcare, medicine, nutrition, sanitation, education, economic success have made it possible for people to live longer. And it is clear evidence of human progress. 
that while most people aged 80 years or over live in developed countries, about 51% of everyone, the situation is evolving. Over the next 15 years, 56% of the population aged 80 or over will live in less developed regions and by 2050 that proportion is going to be almost 70%. The age composition of older cohorts is also changing rapidly. The oldest old group, those people aged 85 and above, represent the fastest growing segment of the older population. National awareness of the scope of change and their attitudes towards it determines whether a country translates all of that into coherent and appropriate policy measures and whether these policies competently address the magnitude of the challenge and consequences of ageing in their country. Countries ignoring these changes and therefore not preparing for them will re be regarded as less and less a place where one would want to grow old. And I anticipate that global migration during middle age will probably rise over the next few years as people start to realise that they have to make better plans for old age than remaining in the country that they were born in. Some groups are affected more drastically than others and it's worthwhile thinking about women. Women comprise a majority of older persons and outnumber men because they have greater life expectancy um, for all sorts of reasons. The feminisation of ageing implies important challenges for policy makers. Most older women are not married, more likely than men to be living alone and especially in developing countries they are often illiterate. Older women in developed societies are often devalued and have less access to care and support than men. Typically, older women belong to the poorest and most vulnerable segments of all populations and are the most likely to be abused by those whom they should be able to trust. Many older women bear the brunt of the negative effects of development, advanced age and social prejudice. Growing feminisation of poverty, as well as abuse and violence against old women, uh, justifies a special focus on gender issues and effective strategies to remedy them. Gerontology therefore begins in childhood, believe it or not, and recognises the influence of life circumstances on a person's education, their health and their ability to learn to be self-sufficient. For some, especially girls, cumulative disadvantage starts early and restricts life options throughout their lives. And we see the results when we provide nursing and older services to older women in their late age. It's not surprising that Australia's younger elders are incorporating normal ageing in their plans and reinventing social and work options within their postmodern lifestyles, where multiple and shifting identities enable them to adapt to and lead rapid social change. This generation has always shaped their society through innovation and influence, and they will continue to evolve as they move into late age. On the whole, this generation, now in their mid-60s, is highly educated, hard-working, resilient and continues to develop technologies and systems to increase efficiencies and benefits across education, health, engineering and a whole lot of other industries to moderate the impact of ageing. But the way is not always easy and others have publicly accused this generation of not acting their age, whatever that means. Portrayals of older people and certain groups, including nurses, in the media and movies can disadvantage them in the economic policy arena. Policy priorities and resource allocations restrict opportunities and promotion of achievement and are affected by public regard of those contending for advantage. Disempowerment occurs through the way those with power describe others they wish to disempower. For example, intersectionality is a term to denote how disempowered people are simultaneously positioned according to a characteristic or two, like their gender or their age and are treated as a category rather than individuals. And we have examples, for instance, boomers or Gen X. 
Multiple positioning occurs in everyday life and is affected by power relations. Its main purpose is to limit complexity and assumes that the person being dominated and marginalised is actually powerless and insignificant to those doing the marginalisation. Identity politics and reductionist positioning of social or disability groups produces the type of research, policy and services that entrench inequality in a process that normalises the powerless identity. Sadly, health professionals sometimes use their personal biases and prejudices when deciding whether to provide services or a quality of care to categories of people such as older adults or those with a disability or a particular cultural group. Older adults are regularly confronted by sexist and ageist assumptions that support intersectionality and disempowerment when they approach healthcare services for help. Health professionals whose personal prejudices have become normalised can make decisions and recommendations to the person or their family or other professionals that result in inappropriate admissions or, and treatment, risky early discharge of complex patients, institutionalisation and possible exploitation of people in order to access funding subsidies for particular services. Similarly, administrators and policymakers can use identity politics to favour one group over another. For instance, aged care providers and gerontology nurses have been negatively positioned by other service sectors whose resource agenda is helped by appearing to those in power to be of higher status or more efficient or more professional and therefore more deserving of resources allocations. And those resources can include things like scholarships, subsidies, capital funding, new equipment, really important resources. Nursing engagement in gerontological context provides a professional opportunity to apply current knowledge and proficient skills to assist people to respond to the situations they are in or facing. And they also manage a care environment so that the care and treatment outcomes can be enhanced. In residential care, nursing occurs within a long-term care framework as well. And this demands a personal investment in and accountability for the outcomes of nursing interventions for people and their families. Quite a different set of complexities to what occurs in acute care hospitals. Traditionally, aged care attracts mature nurses. Most women who thrive on diverse clients, um, com complex conditions and situations uh, enjoy this kind of nursing. They are attracted by opportunities for long-term nurse-client relationships and a professional commitment to individualised care. But their practice is actually shaped by the industry frameworks and the culture that they're working in. In order to deliver nursing care, nurses are compelled to work within aged care industry funding and regulatory compliance frameworks, as well as their own professional frameworks. For example, the national legislative framework clearly states what is required of, them, of service providers and the basis upon which funding to the service will continue or, or not. Funding is based on occupied bed days only, so the pressure is on nurses to maintain high occupancy. Uh, and responsibilities of nurses employed in the aged care industry range across several areas for which they are personally and professionally accountable. Accountable. For instance, they're expected to establish and maintain therapeutic and social relationships with residents and their families. And this often includes counselling, mediation, complaints management on top of health education, etc. Also, assessing people and planning for the complex care treatment, support and protection needs of residents in a way that involves a range of co-workers with varying skills and experience. And then, of course, ensuring that the team competently carries out that planned care. Unfortunately, a major issue for nurses in this context is substitution by lower qualified and unregistered staff and a wholesale redefinition of their nursing role by employers. 
Substitution is the reduction of complex professional processes to procedures or standardising an approach by listing component tasks and then teaching those tasks to less qualified workers. Hospital and aged care managers who embrace substitution seem to believe that once a procedure or protocol has been standardised and care workers trained to do it, professionals are less essential. Aged care employers increasingly allocate nursing work to care assistants through their job descriptions and, and the tasks include medication administration, wound care, oxygen administration, emotional counselling, uh, which are core nursing, is core nursing work. While the nurse overseeing large care areas is, is expected to be responsible for the employer's delegation over which she, and less often he, has no control, uh, and the issue for these nurses is their legal responsibility under their professional registration, but also the ethical dilemma of, of residents being placed at risk as they watch powerless to intervene. Of course, it's only when substitution becomes unstable that the full impact is felt. Currently, around 85% of all residents are classified as requiring high care, and as acuity levels of aged care residents rises and the numbers of people eligible for high care subsidy increases, Employers' statutory duty to employ appropriately skilled staff and their common law duty of care not to place others at risk and also to take reasonable steps to respond to crisis in ways that minimise harm um, will become quite important. And these, these events include infection outbreaks, adverse reaction to medication, falls, accidents, catastrophic medical events like heart attacks or strokes or, or psychotic breakdown or attempted suicides. Uh, clinical leadership in gerontology is important and registered nurses whose employment situation endorses their full scope of practice have the authority and capacity to ensure that appropriate care is available to residents and that the service will run efficiently and safely and meet all accreditation standards. Insightful employers realise that nursing skills deliver team coaching, emotional support, performance management, organisation and workload distribution, as well as building public trust and confidence in the service. As the demographic change builds, models of practice developed in aged care will actually become standard in all areas of nursing across all sectors of health. As the worker pool decreases and technology provides ways of working smarter and more efficiently, Nurses need to develop their own models of clinical nursing for older adults, but to do that, they need to rebuild the clinical proficiency that has been undermined by increasing administrative loads attached to their roles by their employers. And the opportunity of this strategy is that nurses currently have less time for nursing and therefore they miss, may miss that uh, requirement of building the new models because they just don't have the time. Uh, the average age of all nurses... Um, is around 41 years, while for aged curses, nurses it's around 50, and in aged care, around 94% are women. Unsurprisingly, intersectionality is being applied to those who seek to disempower and control nurses, especially aged care nurses, by portraying their professional capacity as being limited by their age and their status, and that status, of course, is, is derived from their association with a powerless group of older people. Older nurses often have responsibilities for their parents and may also financially support adult children and sometimes their grandchildren and sadly even their great-grandchildren. Quite apart from the financial realities of this situation, the message to aged care nurses is that their contribution to public health is gratefully received but not highly valued in terms of salaries and conditions. 
Consequently, aged care nurses are among the less affluent professionals. While money and status are not major factors in decisions by aged care nurses to continue practising gerontology, it is increasingly difficult to afford to work for baseline salaries and inflexible conditions, or in a redesigned role that is mostly administrative and clinically de-skilling. Clearly, employers need to attract experienced nurses to achieve ongoing service sustainability. These mature nurses have different outlook on what it means to be older in today's world, where remaining employed beyond 65 is actually expected. And employers who understand this difference will offer work that fosters both dignity and growth for them. So the key messages today from me are that, firstly, many of the impediments to education and practice in gerontology fields are driven by policy frameworks that are exposed to political influence and competition, and we need to engage with that. Identifying the policies that help or hamper gerontology education, practice and research is the first step towards focused attention to receive policy and review and change that will actually advantage older people and um, the people who are helping them. Normalisation of bias and prejudice creates a dangerous environment for both service providers and recipients of care and this really needs to be identified and challenged by everyone. Negative positioning and identity politics are destructive trends occurring within professional management and policy contexts and it undermines the intellectual, moral and ethical foundations of gerontology and must be stamped out. Nursing Review podcast is an audio extension of the national nursing publication Nursing Review, available in print, web, e-newsletter, offering the latest news, trends, interviews and insights in nursing education. Subscribe to Nursing Review today by going to www.nursingreview.com.au and click on the no obligation four-week trial subscription link.